All right, how's everybody doing? Welcome to Wednesday, August 18th, August 18th, yeah, wow, man. Days have been flying by here in Chicago. Hopefully everybody is staying safe, everybody is staying healthy, everybody is staying away from each other, everybody is socially distanced, and everybody is wearing a mask because we want to get out of this sooner rather than later. And uh, we're working on it here in Chicago. So welcome. This is episode 89 of Chicago Music Revealed. I'm Mike Jeffers, of course, Chicago Jazz Magazine, chicagojazz.com. And as I always say, I'm also the director of programming and entertainment at the soon-to-be-opening Epiphany Center for the Arts. I cannot tell you about the technical situations we've been having with the website and with the ticketing, but dangerously close. I know I say that every every day, but I'm, I'm confident we're going to be on sale tomorrow. So that's the good news. And the other good news is Ivy Ford is going to be kicking us off September 11th. So that's going to be our blues night. Every Friday is going to be a blues night there at Epiphany Center for the Arts. And then we've got Latin Jazz on Tuesdays, Voices of Chicago on Wednesdays, our Jazz Series on Thursdays, Blues Series on Friday, Spotlight in the Sanctuary on Saturday and Sunday's Old School Sunday. So all the shows will be online and up and running here very soon, probably tomorrow, five or six of them. And then the rest of the month will go live later on next week so stick around i'm always going to give everybody the updates but i am glad to at least have an update and i appreciate everyone for uh tuning in today of course go to epiphanyshy.com to get all the information now without further ado i want to bring up my guest and uh, this is uh, going to be a great conversation because jesse fisher jessefisher.com he's got a brand new release called resilience it is out uh of course it's on Bandcamp, it's on Spotify, it's on all the Apple Music, all the different places you can get streaming stuff. Um, Jesse, congratulations on the new recording. It's a pleasure to meet you. We talked a little bit before we came on. I mean, it's fascinating being able to connect with you because you and I are sort of in the same boat where we are on many different sides of the business realm. So it, it, it helps on many levels. But for you to put out a release like this, you're also an accomplished piano player as well as a producer and engineer and reading over the tracks that you have on this recording. I, I think you played some mandolin. I think you play, played a few other instruments other than piano. So, you know, you've got me beat. So congratulations on the new release and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. Oh, it, it's my pleasure. So let's talk a little bit about this new release. Now, you know, to be able to put something out and you're, you, you know, you're connected. You've played throughout the entire world with a lot of different groups. Of course, you've, you've also got the group that we talked about a little bit off air that I want to talk about as well. The Ajoyo group, which is a fascinating group to me and is very popular. And you guys have gone all over the world with that, I'm sure. But, you know, before we get into the recording, how have things have you been able to be creative especially since you're a producer engineer and a pianist i mean you finding different ways to create and connect with audiences during this covid pandemic where you can't be out playing shows and touring and everything well things are definitely different um we did have several tours planned for this year yeah. that were that were canceled but i think more than anything i'm using this time to kind of connect with myself and my family in a way and i think you know for Really, for 15 years, I've been grinding like nonstop. And um, I moved to New York 15 years ago in, in May. And I really never took any time off and I never took any time to evaluate um, what it is that I'm doing. And, you know, now that I have a family, I'm married, I have a, a six year old. Um, 
I'm trying to find the positive in the fact that we're all a little bit disconnected now and we're all so isolated. So that's what I've really been focused on is more about reconnecting with myself, my family, nature, um, just basic things. Um, I haven't really been doing a lot of creating in this time. I think, I mean, first of all, I was already in the album cycle where the album had just been finished. I literally had just finished the press release in like March and was about to send it out when sort of everything just crashed and, and burned. And so this album I had been working on for about three years. And so I was already in the mode of like, okay, you know, I spend three or four years usually creating a new body of work. And then I spend a year or two just sort of getting out there and usually performing it. Yeah. So I kind of wasn't in creative mode. And then ever since, um, you know, <laughs> our whole world is being reevaluated. Like, I think I'm going to, I'm going to need some time to really process everything before I start to create. I think there's going to be a lot of really meaningful music that's created from, from all of us, you know, after this, um, a lot of people are being really creative right now, but for me, um, it's more of a internal thing. Um, in terms of connecting with audience, I mean, you know, it's sad to say, but already we're pretty, almost everything I do is pretty virtual, even before the pandemic, you know, yeah. like I, I, I do a lot of remote mixing work. I do a lot of remote overdubbing work. I do a lot of other kinds of work that's adjacent to that. Um, so aside from like, you know, not touring and not performing, my world hasn't changed that much um, in terms of like day-to-day -day stuff. Um, and I really was sad that I wasn't able to tour for this album release, but I actually, I started to do a weekly interview series where I started to interview different guests on the album um, where I was in your shoes. Yeah. And that was actually really interesting, you know, because a lot of times some of them are very close friends and other of them are just people that I work with. So it was very interesting that, I don't think for some of them, like say Becca Stevens, who's on the album, who I've worked with, who I love her music, I love her voice, I love her writing and, and producing and everything. I don't think we'd ever actually spent an hour just talking about things that are really meaningful. And I think if there hadn't been this shutdown, we probably just would have done a show and she would have been a special guest and then maybe hang out in the green room. But uh, this is a chance for us to talk in front of an audience and really talk things out and, and go beyond just playing music and just playing tunes for people. And I think I've been seeing a lot of people doing these kind of uh, interview series, and I think that's valuable. And again, it's like we're just trying to find the positive in the shutdown and, and um, really introduce people to what goes on behind the scenes. Whereas if you just see an album on Spotify, you click play, you hear the music. When the album's over, you go on to the next. Mm -hmm. And we don't even live in an era anymore where you can dig deeper, like read the liner notes, try to understand a little bit more about the context. Um, so I think, you know, through doing interviews and live streams and those kind of things, I think we're getting a little bit deeper into like the context behind why we create music, how we do it, why we do it the way we do it, et cetera. Well, that, you know, and that's, that's why I started the show. I mean, I, I've always interviewed people with Chicago jazz magazine since 2002 and we've done, yeah. you know, wow. when it was print, then when we went to digital and then I started a, a weekly interview show. And when I started doing that, not this show, but a different one, um, it was fascinating because when you're having a conversation, especially a musician to a musician and you're doing the same thing, 
you 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 tend to talk about things that are a little bit different than if if I was just asking you like ten questions about the new recording and then that was it. And and then I feel like the audience gets to know the musician and gets to get a little bit of a relationship happening and you learn stuff, you know, and then from you talking to the people that were on your recording, I think it's a great way to share the stories and share ideas and thoughts behind the recording rather than just, you know, Oh yeah, you know, it's a great recording and here, you know, you read a review and then you go on to the next one because to your point too, everything is so digital. Uh, I think a lot of artists now I'm, I don't, I don't think, possibly you did this because I, I haven't seen the liner notes yet but but you know I, I tend to think that a lot of artists just gloss over the liner notes and they don't think that they're that important maybe they might write a paragraph or two and then put it out and then their music is there but really telling the story and understanding what went in to the recording why the thought process were before be, behind each tune helps to connect the audience with the music in a deeper way than just flipping it on and blowing through it and saying, Oh, okay, that's cool. Because I, I've learned so much from talking to all of these different musicians from across the country. When I started this Chicago music revealed show, it's fascinating, you know, so I'm looking forward to talking yeah. to you about that too. But it seems like, it seems like to your point, I love the fact that you're doing these types of interviews, but then also you're interviewing the people that are on the recording because it just gives a whole different perspective to anybody listening or anybody coming into your world and going, Oh, wow, I'm going to check that out. Yeah, I think so. It actually is something I started about two years ago when I when I had sort of finished writing the music, but I really wanted to start performing it and, and trying it out, you know, workshopping it. Um, one thing I did to promote a, a show that we were doing was I started, I did a video series where I did like just duo um, short little performances, like two or three minute performances um, with the different musicians that I was going to be featuring on the show. Mm -hmm. And it actually was quite interesting because I tend to have bigger productions like the album you see there's like yeah. 15 or 20 different musicians on it even when I perform live I usually don't play with a trio I usually play with a quintet or a sextet um because that sort of reflects the the orchestra the orchestration sound that I'm hearing mm -hmm. but to be able to just record these little videos for Instagram or Facebook with maybe one other person um it, it actually opened my eyes to the fact that people would respond much better to that online than to like a big fancy video with lots of people playing. Um, it's more intimate. And, you know, I guess the way we interact with the world now on our phones, like you're used to maybe seeing one or one person on, on the phone at a time. And I think it was interesting the fact that I could post these little videos and each one had a different character because it was a duet or a trio with, with different people. And to be able to showcase like, hey, here's a song that I wrote and it's an actual song that like, it's not trapped inside this recording with all these big production values, but it's something that you or I could do. I think that was valuable. Um, so that was the beginning of when I was like, okay, I'm going to start thinking about how, how I can get people to know, um, to sort of see a little bit behind the production of this big album thing. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. No, I, love I don't it. know. I, mean, I, 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 I've been a big believer. I mean, you know, it, it's like, People see stuff to your point on social media. And I mean, literally, you know, I mean, how many times have you turned on, uh, you know, somebody's live on IG and you turn it on and it's like somebody's just holding the phone there and there's like 200,000 people watching, watching them, you know, talk to people and answer questions and everybody's fine with that. There, there isn't a big production going on around them with TV cameras and all that stuff. 
and he's yeah. got a big, huge audience. You know, Quest Love comes to mind, and, and, and you know he's spinning, and I mean he's got like sixty thousand people watching him live. You know, on on Instagram. So it's, yeah, it's, definitely. It's, it's it's one of those things where I think to your point, people are used to it, but also because of the the um, personal nature of it, they feel more connected to you too. So then when they come and listen to you know, resilience where it's a, a, a big production put together and tracked and put out in a, in a con, you know, with a concept behind it and everything. It's a great way to suck them into your universe and then steer them over to really hear your work and really, you know, get the full creative juice behind what you're, what you're doing specifically, you know? So let's talk a little bit about resilience because I mean, this, this uh, recording just, I heard about four or five tracks uh, breezing through it, and I'm going to sit down. And I always say this because my audience is used to hearing me say this. I'm going to do a deep dive, and I do do a deep dive. You know, I, I put it on, I sit on my patio, I have a glass of wine, and I can really delve in. And I, I shut the social media stuff off so I can get into it. But listening to this, just, just my initial thoughts when I'm listening to it, there's a lot, and, and reading your bio too, there's a lot of different genres mixed into one, but I think that we talked a little bit about this off the air in the 21st century with the composers and the arrangers and the musicians that are, are up and coming in the 21st century, which I, I, you know, you're, you're young enough to be considered still, I think an up and coming musician, even though you're, you know, throughout the world already known, but I mean, you know, all of these different genres you've been exposed to over the years as grow, as you were growing up and learning the craft, comes out in your music and that makes your voice right i mean that's jesse fisher so this is your voice and is that how you write when you put things together and you write music and you compose music are you sitting down and coming up with an idea and you're not worried whether or not it sounds like a traditional jazz thing or a hip-hop thing or something you're just like yeah okay i know what else i can do with this i can add this groove to it i can add this groove to it let's add this instrument that instrument i'm gonna call up Becca Stevens, for an example, since you brought her up and put her on the recording. I mean, what's the process behind you actually composing and putting a song from start to finish together? Okay, so it's funny. As as I was saying, like I've been interviewing other musicians on the album and I've been asking them a similar question, like, what's your process? And it's the weirdest thing. It's hard to really, uh, it's hard to give a good answer to that question because I don't really have a process. It just happens below the subconscious level. So, yeah. you know, um, it's, uh, <laughs> I wish I had a better way of explaining it, you know, um, and there isn't the same thing that works every time. So each time I write a tune, it's a different struggle. Um, but in terms of like genre, I think I don't, it's not something I consciously think about. You know, I think at this point I've been writing, you know, I've been basically writing since I'm 12 or 13 years old. And um, I think, you know, like anyone, when you're starting a new art form, you go through a period of, you know, imitating the masters and straight up copying and ripping off the masters and trying to see how that feels. You know, you put this on. And um, so for a while, yeah, I was obsessed with Headhunters period, Herbie, and and just trying to write sort of funk jazz stuff. Um, for a while, I, I mean, I've just... I've been always, um, as just as a working musician, I've always had this thing about not never saying no to a gig. Mm -hmm. And I think just as a person, I've always been very open and curious about things, even outside music. And so it just leads me down a lot of different paths in life. And, you know, um, I mean, even again, like outside of music, I mean, I've, I've done all kinds of work from like, um, 
you know, manual labor stuff like doing construction work and demolition and working in restaurants and doing web design and graphic design and putting in uh, computer networks like Cat5 cabling and all kinds of random stuff. Um, and it, it, it has led me to a lot of different situations. And I think all those musical situations have influenced how I hear things, how I write. But, um, going back to like why people like to see you on social media without the big lights and the yeah. fancy cameras, you know, people really want to connect with you as a person and the more authentic you can be, I think the more meaningful that connection is. Um, so as I get older, as a composer, the thing that I'm trying to do the most is be the authentic me, you know? So a lot of that is thinking about what makes me happy and what my roots are. Um, and uh, part of that is also just a lot of hard work. Like it's a lot of writing and then rewriting and then editing and then um, taking parts, you know, taking parts out and rewriting and just rewriting and trying things out and trying things out and trying things out until it really works. Um, and in terms of process, I mean, I actually got stuck making this album. I'd never had writer's block before. And for about a year or two, like I just could not, um, I couldn't write anything that I liked. I was writing a lot, but I was judging everything that I wrote. Um, and I just felt that, uh, it just, I had no way of kind of like really, um, narrowing down and settling on something mm -hmm. so I, I ended up using two specific devices to help me write this album one of which was i forced myself to sit down and i put the phone there and i just hit record and for about 60 seconds i would improvise anything and then i'd turn the camera off after 60 seconds or the voice memo yeah. and then walk away from the piano and not develop the idea at all and then come back the next day and then i did that for a while maybe a month and actually i got two great ideas out of that by specifically not trying to write something. That was how I was able to write something. Um, the other thing I did was sort of similar where I started having these monthly uh, sort of like jam sessions where I would assemble the band and not prepare anything at all. And then, then we would all play for about three hours. Um, and the only rule was we weren't allowed to play anything pre-written. So it was actually kind of interesting. It was collective improvisation um, I wouldn't say it was, it wasn't like free jazz style, mm -hmm. but it was free in the sense of, um, not planned and also emotionally free because I really wanted people to go where they were feeling. And out of that situation, there was another few songs that, that I just spontaneously wrote on at that, at those events that ended up being edited and edited and edited and then ended up on this album. Well, you, you know, you brought, I mean, you brought up a ton of great points, but just kind of focusing in on that. 60 seconds and then walking away and and then just having that once a month jam session where you're not playing any you know recorded or any written down music or anything like that you know sometimes i think a lot of people and there's a lot of musicians and a lot of a lot of casual music fans that watch this but you know musicians get stuck to your point and a lot of times you got to get out of your paradigm that you're used to doing. If you're always sitting, all right, I'm going to sit at this piano regardless of what's going on for the next hour and I'm going to make this happen. And I can almost guarantee you being a drummer, if I sat and played a groove that I couldn't play, I was going to get more frustrated than anything. It's better to go take a breather and walk away than come back and do something. You got to reset your mind. And a lot of times you got to get out of your regular paradigm and try something completely different. And that's when the best ideas start to come into flow so i love the fact that you're thinking about that consciously yeah, definitely. And, 
and going, I've got to do this because, you know, you always hear about some of the composers or some of the, actually, I, I read a lot about business writers and things like that. Well, they'll sit there and they write every single day, regardless of what's going on. And they don't even know what they're going to do. And then great ideas start to pop in. If they just go in there and just start writing random words down and something happens, but it doesn't work for everybody. And I think that's important yeah. for people to understand that they've got to find out what works for them. And if that's not working, they got to change everything and try something else. So I, I, I love that thought. Yeah, I think what's really important when you're writing anything, it's a it could be a novel, a screenplay, anything. It's it's really to access your subconscious. So whatever you have to do to trigger that. And a lot of times, you know, if I'm so used to writing a certain way and, and I'd written a lot of tunes on piano and I got into like a kind of a rut, you know, um, you have to just um, you have to really uh, get you have to trigger something that gets out of that. Another thing for me is I like to write on different instruments. So um, if piano is my main instrument, a lot of songs that I've written, I'll start it on bass or um, guitar or mandolin, like you said, like yeah. to be able to play, you know, to be able to write on an instrument that's not your primary instrument, it actually opens up a lot of pathways because of your limitations. It forces you, because you haven't fully explored it in a way, you know, so you actually are more likely to sort of stumble on something wrong, you know, and that becomes right. And then another thing that I was trying to do on this album was I was trying to find, I was trying to actually find anything wrong that I could find because I was so used to just basically making everything work. And so the one thing that I could find was like, uh, right, that interval right there. Yeah. yeah. It's like the most brash kind of like dissonant, <laughs> awful interval. And so, I was challenging myself, like, how can I make that interval pretty? And what does it mean? And like, ah. so actually that song with Becca, I don't know if you heard it, but it's called yeah. Push Pull. Yep. I literally sat down at the piano, started improvising and tried that, tried to get that interval to sound good. Mm -hmm. so, so I was like, oh, I found, I found these two chords that kind of resolved and they almost sound pretty. You don't notice how weird and rough it sounds, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of that on this album where I was trying to trick you and like hide these really weird, rough and brash intervals um, and ideas too, you know, like like concepts and, and um, lyrical ideas in, in music that actually is sort of sounding good, supposedly. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. Well, no, I, and, and I love it. I, I love the fact that you explained it that way and could actually play it because your piano's there. But I mean... You know, that that's one of those things that probably as a producer and engineer, you know, you have that that um, opportunity to actually watch people produce their own works and see them go through the process. So you must be able to sit there and, and go, oh, man, yeah, you know, you're probably picking. You're always probably learning when you're working with other musicians and you're producing and engineering and recording and mixing and all that stuff. Because you're, you're able to look back, you know, if, if a musician comes in, they play on the track, they leave, they're not hanging out, they don't see any of the stuff that's going on for the next week and a half or two weeks. And then certainly when you go in and you're able to mix and master stuff, you're hearing the ins and outs of everything. I mean, you're hearing every little nook and cranny. So that's that's got to be something you can take away to to put into your own com compositions, right? Yeah, without a doubt. And, yeah. you know, I <laughs> I always feel so lucky that because my, my other job, my day job as an engineer, I get privy to all these people's music before it comes out. So like I've heard 
all this amazing music that's come through my studio in the last four or five years, some of it is still hasn't come out. And it's, it's stuff. I mean, I get to work with people who are really pushing the envelope and yeah, a lot of, I've, I've often been influenced by a lot of them. Like, um, well, for instance, Christian Scott, who's on my album, he had come through and recorded some trumpet and I was, uh, you know, just engineering on, on some stuff from his album that came out last year or two years ago, I think. And when it first came in, I was like, wow, it was totally different from what I had heard from him before. And then similarly, like Morgan Guerin, who's on this album, I've been working with him, engineering some stuff for him for his last two albums. And each time he brings in music, it totally, it totally blows my mind because it's like just a complete left field from even stuff that I've heard from him. Uh, someone named Chris Fishman, who is a brilliant composer and pianist um, from Los Angeles, I've been working with him the last two, three years. His album still hasn't come out. He has a debut album that's brilliant. And I can't wait for people to hear it because I really think it's it's a new it's a new sound. I've never heard it before. Godwin Louis, who I've had the pleasure to work with on his album, and he's also on this album. I was able to hear some of the stuff, like his con conceptual writing, his concepts and everything. Like I was able to hear that going back years and years before his album came out. So yeah, I get to, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a cheat sheet. Like I get to hear everybody, what everybody's working on. And you know, just, I'm sure Chicago is similar, but just being in New York and hearing what people play, like you don't, you don't hear the stuff on records. Like it's right. being able to go to a club and hear a jam session or hear what people are um, experimenting with or trying out. Uh, it's really, really powerful. And especially as I get older, I get, I feel really lucky that I'm able to interface with younger generation you know, even two generations younger than me. A lot of guys are like, um, men and women are in their, you know, early 20s and just looking at music totally different from how me and my generation look at it. So mm -hmm. I just, I have my ears open, you know? Well, yeah, that, that's it. You have your ears open and it's so important. You know, there's, there's, you know, I always bring this up too, because there's a lot of younger musicians watching this. You know, you can, you can watch all the YouTube videos and Instagram videos and everything else of people playing all you want, but going out and seeing people play in person and experiencing that sound and the, and the energy and really, you know, seeing all of this different stuff live and in person is something that you cannot get by just watching YouTube videos and understanding what's happening. Now you can get a lot out of it, but I mean, you know, to your point, I mean, you, you go to jam sessions or you go to some of these sessions and people are trying stuff and pushing the envelope and stuff. You, you would, normally never be able to experience that unless you're somewhere live and in person. So hopefully we'll all get back to the actual live and in person situation, which uh, would be fantastic. But I mean, let's talk a little bit about resilience. Now, what's the, what's the meaning behind the title? Because obviously, you know, everything you're talking about seems to me like resilience is something that you, you know, you made it happen. You, you pushed forward. So what, what, what was the thought behind the title? Yeah, it's interesting because Resilience, the title actually was from about a year ago or two years ago, I think. I had this song um, and I don't even remember when when this sort of, I had this song for a while that didn't have a title. And it originally started out, I was trying to write something in memory of my grandmother, one of, you know, my grandmother who I was close with who passed. Um, and I kind of, that's how it started. It, it didn't actually... I still think I'm I'm going to do something that's a little bit more close to what I wanted to do, mm -hmm. but that's how it started. And I was thinking about, you know, stuff that she went through, stuff that a lot of people that are of that generation were, you know, um, had gone through depression era, had gone through the war, 
you know, her husband was away. Um, and, you know, different kinds of things like the certain kind of um, discrimination that she faced um, being Jewish in in a context where there was a lot of people that were not Jewish being on army base. And um, so it kind of got me thinking about how she had thrived through all that. And, you know, she and her husband, my grandfather had, you know, created a, a wonderful life for them and the kids. And, and, um, and obviously a lot of people have gone through much worse things than that, but it, it made me start. I think that's where the title originally came from. Um, and I didn't really have a title for the album. Actually, I had a different title or I was sort of looking for a title. And then in February was when I really was writing this press release and I had to pick a title and I was thinking, wow, we're really going to, I kind of saw what was going to happen. I didn't, I didn't quite know the, the extent of it, yeah. but, um, all of a sudden that, that phrase came into focus for me that, um, resilience is strength in adversity and it's being able to bounce back and it's being, being able to actually, str um, stretch yourself in a way, I think. So, um, that was, those were all the things I was thinking about. And then it's funny now, everywhere I look, I see that word. It wasn't a really yeah. a, a term or a word that I was seeing a lot as I was writing this music or as I was thinking about it, you know, but I was also thinking, I mean, a lot of the album is, uh, it's, it's personal, but it's also societal. And a lot of the songs I was writing were about how we as a society are going to bounce back and how we're going to get stronger. And, um, you know, there's there's always been a lot of, you know, evil and hate and xenophobia and racism and um, other kinds of things built into America, built into our society and globally. Right. But it's really the last four years, it's come out in the open a lot more. And I think a lot of this was healing in a personal way, like, OK, we got to heal ourselves um, to move forward, but also I was hoping, I was hoping to reach other people and to, um, encourage other people that we as a society have to heal these wounds and have to, um, become more equitable and more aware of each other and actually more, more societal. I think, uh, in the little amount that I've traveled, I feel that America has these amazing, um, really unique characteristics about it. But one thing that I feel we could do better on is living a little bit more community minded. I feel like in other places that I visited, there's a lot more of that feeling that um, we're part of a community. We're part of a town, a city, a yeah. state, a, a nation, right. Or even a, a human race. Uh, we're not just living for ourselves. And I think America on the whole, speaking broadly, there's a very individualistic mindset, you know, mm -hmm. we're going to explore and go out West and, and make our own thing. And, you know, we don't, it's, we're self-reliant, right? Which I get, which, which I, I feel proud of, but I think we need to be more, uh, we, we need to realize how interconnected we are and we need to think more about how we as a society can heal, not just about like, okay, I'm going to get in my bunker and kind of take care of my own, my own situation. Well, I, I, you're, you're straight on. I, I totally agree. You know, you, you never, you never, um, get that community aspect for the most part until there's like a pandemic or some sort of tragedy or you know, catastrophe or something. And then all of a sudden everybody comes together. Well, to your point, why do we have to wait for a pandemic or like an earthquake that, uh, you know, wrecks a bunch of cities and, or, a, or a, a hurricane comes in and, and destroys everything. And then everybody comes together. 
think everybody should come together and everybody should be more of a community. So I love what you're saying as far as that goes. And resilience, I mean, that, you know, I love the explanation and I love where it came from. But then also, it you're right. I mean, I see that word all the time now. I didn't see it before we got into this pandemic. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's interesting how it came out. But, you know, I've I've talked to a lot of musicians on this show since the uh, since the uh, covid situation started. That's when I started doing this. And um, it's interesting to me because putting a recording out, you know, everybody's always everybody started this, uh, all of their recordings, similar to you, a year, two, three years, and they had it planned and they're dropping it. And this is when it drops. And um, I feel like this is a great time to drop something, and especially with what you're doing and you're getting out and you're talking and you're doing interviews and you're finding different ways to connect with audiences. I think you've got a captive audience for people to listen to this and get it out. Are you finding that you're getting a little more traction than maybe you would if you were just playing gigs, maybe doing some festivals, you'd have a big, a big push at a fest or a big push at a, at a, at a, you know, new release event or something like that. And then it gets, everything calms down. I think now you're, you're able to connect in a different way. And I think you've got a captive audience to do it. What are you seeing as far as people's reaction to the recording? I mean, yeah, I really have no way of knowing. I, the last two albums I released, I didn't do any touring on, so I'm already kind of used to like yeah. putting out an album <laughs> and promoting it virtually. I had promised myself that I would not do that for this release. You know, I really wanted to. In fact, that my release would have come out last year, and I wanted to push it back. I wanted to like do it the right way, quote unquote, which meant touring it and and um, performing. Yeah. But, you know, you can't control everything in life. And, and I think that's what we're coming to see is there's a lot of things in life that we thought we had control over that we really don't. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm heartened the fact that people all over the world listen to my music and have, you know, even in the past, I, I, I get messages. You know, there's a actually a pianist in South Africa had commented on my YouTube video a while back. Uh, asking for sheet music and turns out he wants to use one of my tunes for his audition into music school and that, that really touched me the fact that he would hear something on YouTube and, and actually want to learn it and and would make it part of his own um, you know repertoire and I heard him yeah. play it and it sounds totally like him it doesn't sound like me it's great yeah. so I'm you know there's there's amazing things that are happening in terms of the internet I think I think you're right that going back to your point a few minutes ago uh, maybe one of the reasons I have not been doing a lot of live stream performances is that I don't I don't think that's the way this music should be portrayed. I think there's a it's a big difference between being in a room you're actually li literally breathing the same air as people and you're the air is literally vibrating. It's like the same air. That's what music is. It's vibrating air, um, and you're it, it's there's so much more to it. It's tactile. You can smell it. You can heat. Uh, you can hear things in a different way. Um, and of course, the the actual performance of it is different. Like being able, for me, this music in particular is about connecting with people. And for me to be on stage with another person or with my close friends and um, exchanging ideas that go beyond just like, okay, I'm going to play this chord, I'm going to play this chord. But it's actually like a feeling, being able yeah. to breathe together. That's important to me. Um, so I think there's only so much you can do online. Uh, when it comes down to it, this kind of music, I mean, not every music, but this kind of music, I think it relies on uh, shared physical experience. So uh, hopefully we'll get back to that eventually. But 
you know, there, there's a lot of amazing opportunities for people to learn about music and to, um, you know, develop themselves as musicians now and really any art, right? I mean, music, dance, theater, um, poetry, academic stuff, um, you know, DIY crafting maker space there's so much that's going on that you can collaborate with people all over the world. So, um, you know, I just kind of take what, what I take from it, what I can. And I'm looking forward to the time that I can actually come to Chicago and play in a room with people, you know, what, a, what an idea. Yeah. <laughs> what an idea. Well, uh, yeah. we would love to have you here, obviously. So let's hope that can happen sooner rather than later. Now, before I let you go, you also, um, are, are a member of, uh, Ajo I'm Ajoya. I, yeah. I knew I was going to say it wrong because I'm looking down and I'm thinking about a million other things that you just said. Ajoya, talk a little bit about that band because I mean, that band is like, it's a pretty hot band too, right? I mean, so you're part of that band and everything's on hiatus now, I would imagine for them too, right? Yeah. So the band is called Ajoyo and it's, it's originally was the project of a friend of mine, saxophonist, Yassine Bularis. And it was an outlet for him. Uh, his Tunisian uh, grew up in France and then has been in New York for a while. Uh, it was an outlet for him to actually explore some Tunisian music, like traditional Tunisian music, but also in the context of uh, West African pop, mostly Cameroonian music. So one of his first gigs in New York was um, playing for uh, this guy, Jojo, um, I'm blanking on his last name. Sorry, Yassine. Um, but he was like a, a prominent Cameroonian drummer who had his own sort of Afro-pop band. And Yassine sort of became the musical director of that band. And after Jojo sort of um, left town, he encouraged Yassine to write his own music and to continue the band in his own way. So that became Ajoyo. After, uh, there was several different um, lineups, but after I joined the band, uh, the lineup sort of crystallized and all of a sudden it felt actually like a collective. It felt like a very, very close um, musical cooperative in a way that I haven't experienced since like a high school, like when I was in high school, I was in a, like our garage rock band where uh, I haven't felt that same closeness since then, you know, and this is, it goes way beyond like playing gigs and touring, but to where all six of us feel uh, very connected as people. Um, yeah. And so I've had the good fortune to to find this opportunity to perform. And actually now we start to write together and um, Yassine has created a record label that this the most recent one is released on. And we've been collaborating in a lot of different ways. So yeah, it's a blessing. It's, it's great for me because I love West African music and I love Cameroonian music specifically. Yeah. And I never really got a chance to play that kind of music. And so now it's, it's actually, it's his own voice. It's, it's, modern jazz fusion, I guess, but um, mm -hmm. with a lot of traditional Cameroonian and Tunisian rhythms. Um, and then I get to, as producer, I get to do all these other fun things with it. And Yassine is very open to, um, you know, I'm doing a lot of very Brooklyn-y things. Like there's a lot of um, analog synths and a lot of sort of more indie rock elements and more sort of spacey explorational things. Yeah. So it's, it's a very unique band that everyone is, is extremely gifted in what they do but also very open to creating something of our own. So um, I'm very happy to be in that band and to have produced and engineered the new album, which is called War Chant. It's, it's out everywhere. It, was, um, it came out in April, I think. Yeah, yeah. 
No, I mean, I mean, that's, you know, that that's the one thing that I, I think is fascinating because, you know, you're able to play, compose, and then you're also engineering and recording and and doing the other side of the business. I mean, when did you get into I mean, you talked a little bit about writing music when you were 12. When did you get into the recording aspect and the engineering aspect? It was was it something just because you were recording yourself and then it just turned into something way more? Yeah, I mean, it was about that same time. I had two different friends who I used to play music with. And um, my dad is a amateur musician, composer, and he would used to, he had a lot of different friends that he used to play music with. And two different, um, two different of my friends' parents were also my dad's friends. And they had both been professional musicians in the like 70s or so, 70s, 80s. Um, and so they both had little studios in their basement. So I would go over to either one of my friends' houses. And this was, you know, I'm dating myself, but this was when cassette four tracks had just come around. And so, you know, one of the first things I got when I was maybe 12 or 13 was, you know, a Tascam Porta Studio. And then what's funny is that those are like super in vogue right now. I wish I knew where mine was. I know. But, isn't, um, it, isn't it amazing? Because I mean, I for Chicago Jazz Magazine, we were doing merchandise for some of the fest for about 10 years. And and all of a sudden, people actually were coming up selling cassette tapes. Yeah, it's I'm a like, thing. What? <laughs> so I learned to engineer my buddy's dad, who um, had been in a rock band in the 70s and was actually all all my dad's friends who were musicians were also like computer programmers or some type of tech people in their day job. And mm-hmm. so I think that's where I got both the like the tech end of things and the creative end of things. But I I had borrowed this book from my buddy's dad called Home Recording for Musicians. And it was by Craig um, Anderton. This is literally from the 70s. So it was all about reel to reel four tracks. Yeah. But because I had a cassette four track, I was able to reproduce a lot of the things he explained. That was the beginning of DIY, you know, recording. And also I was in like punk rock scene in New Jersey, which was extremely DIY back in the day. Like we we would literally press like, well, we made our own cassette tapes at home, like on the boombox. We would duplicate cassette tapes. We went to Kinko's to photocopy all of our flyers and we made seven inch vinyl and we had our own shows. A lot of kids were straight edge, so they didn't want to do shows in bars. So it was like at the VFW or at the community center in the town mm. or in somebody's basement. And, you know, I feel like that energy is what the entire industry is doing right now and, and it is heading towards where people are owning their own labels. They're able to create their own scene. You're able to hopefully um, own your own masters own your own venues eventually own own the whole production um so i feel like that energy i, I got um well i'm really off course here <laughs> but no, I... um, going back to engineering yeah i've been engineering myself and my band since then and i was always interested to the the production ends of things even since like i used to listen to a lot of beatles my mom was a beatles maniac in the 60s yeah. so i knew all those tricks from when they were exploring four track recording and doing things backwards and speeding things up and slowing things down and doing tape loops. And that, that stuff was like so fascinating to me as a kid. So it was like all of that. Plus then all of the jazz piano that I was so um, obsessed with and fascinated by. um, And those things combined. And so like, that's what I try to do on my record is do a jazz record, but do it in a way that satisfies the orchestration and the production end of things from where my head is at also. Yeah. Well, 
I, uh, you and I could talk for probably four or five more hours because I got a yeah, ton of I'm questions sure. from that, but I'm not going to go down those roads because we're, we'll talk in person when you come to Chicago. Maybe we'll yeah, have you uh, perform at this venue that I'm actually the entertainment director for. Yes. So, you know, that's that would be, a, that would kind, be awesome. kind, kind of a good in here. So we'll have to talk offline at some point once everybody can actually talk about actually getting together again. But Jesse, it's been a pleasure. So jessefisher.com, we'll send everybody over there. Of course, it's available on Bandcamp on Spotify, on Apple Music, correct? Anywhere uh, else am I? Everywhere anybody can download anything, yeah. I would imagine. Anywhere you can find music, you should be able to find my new album. It's called Resilience. Yep. Um, the I do want to put a plug in for Bandcamp. So for people who don't know, Bandcamp is basically the only fair trade music platform that exists out there. And it's a place where you can actually purchase music and send them money straight to the artist and you still get the convenience of streaming and there's an app for your phone and you can stream it and um, do all the same things you can do with Spotify and Apple Music but the difference being that you are sending money to the artist in, in a way that you know one purchase on like one album purchase on Bandcamp is about equal to like 3,000 streams on Spotify or Apple Music something like that. Isn't that unbelievable? I mean, you know, when you really yeah. break it down, I don't think a lot of people realize that, but I mean, that's right. That's, well, that's why I like to mention it because yes. Bandcamp, it's popular among independent musicians like myself, but a lot of sort of um, non-musicians may not be aware of, of how interesting and how cool it is. So I always like to put the plug out there. No, I'm glad you explained it because that, that's very important. People need to understand that. So, you know, Absolutely. All right. Hey, Jesse, pleasure. I'm glad we got to connect. And uh, thanks so much for it. It's been a great interview, man. I really appreciate it. And congratulations on the new recording, Resilience. And uh, as I said, hopefully we'll see you live here in person in Chicago at some point soon. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. Definitely. Thanks again. Take care. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Jesse Fisher, I'll tell you, I mean, you know, you've got you've to gotta go check this out because the recording um really is, is something that um mixes all these different genres together and and i love what he was talking about uh all of the different influential ways that he's he's working in music but also i love what he was talking about about breaking that paradigm how he wrote some of these tunes and everything it um that kind of stuff's fascinating to me and hopefully i think you guys find it fascinating too otherwise you wouldn't be tuning in so there you have it. Well, I appreciate everyone watching today. I know I was a little off the uh, off the mark here. We're switching the show to do three days a week. But this week, lots of stuff happening. Um, lots of meetings going on. My schedule has been really uh, intense lately. So uh, we will be um, getting back to three days a week next week. But this week, we've only got one more show left. That's going to be tomorrow. Johnny Iguana is going to join. Dave Katzman is going to be on tomorrow. We're going to do our blues Chicago Blues and Beyond, and we're going to have Johnny Iguana on. And the exciting news about that is that Johnny Iguana is going to be doing a Delmark Records night at the Epiphany Center for the Arts. Uh, I believe it's on the 18th of September, and tickets are going to go on sale hopefully tomorrow, as I mentioned. So get ready for all of that. I'm going to get this thing dialed in, so we're dropping them at uh, normal rates again. But uh, bear with me for the next couple of weeks, and we'll be back on track. But as I always say, I appreciate everyone listening, everyone watching, everyone checking this out. If you like what you hear, please leave us a comment, leave us a message. Tracy Oliver, Sue Strauss, as always, 
Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And as I tell everyone else, please, 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 if you like what you hear, tell your neighbors, tell your, tell your family, and call the grandkids tomorrow, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. We will be back here with another episode. And until then, I'll see you on the next broadcast.